I've lived in the suburbs most of my life. And being from the suburbs, I really don't get to see the stars very well at night. In fact, in order to see the stars, you kind of have to get out of the city. You have to go to a place where it's actually a little bit darker and all the excess light from the homes and businesses actually lets you see what's out there. We used to go as a family up to Shell Beach. It's in central California on the central coast, a little bit north of Pismo and a little bit south of Avila Beach. And from there, we used to take a week-long summer vacation. And there, when I would look out at night, I'd be able to sit back, look up into the sky, and I would really be able to see stars. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them that I never thought were there. Today, we're going to talk about hope. Hope sometimes needs really dark situations for the light of hope to shine through. And today, as we're in Advent, as we're talking about the first candle and the first week, Today, my prayer is that you walk out of here a little bit more hopeful. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would open up our hearts today, open up our minds, spirit, reveal to us Christ so that we might be more like him. We pray these things in your name alone. Amen. Well, I imagine you're a lot like me when it comes to the year 2020. About two months ago, I was ready to put 2020 into a box, stick it on the shelf. Now I'm kind of at the point I'm ready to kick 2020 all the way to the curb. I know many people have had trying circumstances. It's been especially difficult for me and my family. First of all, we knew something was going to go wrong with this year when we lost Kobe in January. But then as coronavirus hit, it took a little bit of a turn for my own family and my own situation. You see, our family lost an aunt to coronavirus in April. And then a couple months later, another aunt, while vacationing in the Midwest, found out that she had pancreatic cancer. She never came home. And then for us and for me, I lost a job during coronavirus. Two weeks ago, our dog passed away. And just this past weekend, I lost another aunt closest to me in age. She died from a heart attack. It's been really a grueling eight to nine months in which I've experienced really lost, unlike I've experienced in my life. And I share that story and, and, and that situation with you to give you a little bit of a glimpse into some things that I've experienced, knowing that I'm not alone. You've experienced hardship. You've experienced hard times. And I know there's people who've experienced situations much worse than my own. And I can't help but think 
Maybe the darkness of 2020 is God's way of helping us see the stars. Said another way, maybe this has been the Spirit's way of showing us that, that, that we need to see rays of hope despite the situation. You see, I'm not alone in the hardship. I know that there's many people out there who are struggling with isolation and struggling with depression and struggling with joblessness and struggling with hopelessness. We're all really dealing with our own situation. And maybe this year, the darkness of this year will help us see the stars of hope that God wants us to to see and what God wants to show to us. Fyodor Dostoevsky was a Russian novelist, and he said it this way. He said, to live without hope is to cease to live. To live without hope is to cease to live. Hope is what separates people. You take two baseball players, both of whom in the bottom of the ninth inning with bases loaded strikes out. One feels embarrassed and is frustrated about the situation. And the other one says, I look forward to the next time I have that opportunity and I'm going to succeed. What's the difference? The difference is hope. Take two students, two students going through the same situation of online school, a terrible situation. Is there any real learning going on right now? I know teachers and educators are doing their best, but it's really, really hard on the kids. I watch my own kids as they struggle through it. But you take two students going through online school, and one feels like it's a terrible situation and they don't see an end. And another one has the attitude saying, you know, I think 2021 at some point in time is going to get better. What's the difference? The difference is hope. Take two people who have lost their jobs. One of them is ashamed and, and, and feels resentment toward the situation. And yet another one says, hey, this is a great opportunity to find a job that's a better fit, and for me, to find even a higher paying job. What's the difference? The difference is hope. Hope is really important. You see, hope is one of the central attributes that we see and we read about in Scripture. It's the candle that we've lit here today to signify the first week in Advent. Here are some Scripture passages. I'm just going to give you a few of them. But the Bible is filled with hope. 1 Corinthians 13. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. How about from Jeremiah 29? I know many of you know this passage. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
from Isaiah 40. Those who wait upon the Lord. Waiting upon the Lord is another way of saying hope. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not faint. And how about from Romans 5? Romans 5 tells us this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Bible is filled with hope. In 2014, the group King and Country put out a song, Hope is What We Crave. Here's some of the lyrics from the chorus. Hope is what we crave, and that will never change. So I stand and wait. I need a drop of grace to carry me today. It's written on my soul. Hope is what we crave. Hope is what you, Lord, you gave. Today our text comes from Isaiah 40. This passage is the backdrop for Advent. And, and as we take a look at the, the book Isaiah, Isaiah was, is 66 chapters and Isaiah is considered a major prophet. That's basically another way of saying he was a long-winded preacher. But Isaiah is the most quoted book in rabbinic literature. And Isaiah is, is so interesting because Isaiah prophesied during the reign of Hezekiah. That's when he came to prominence about seven to eight centuries before Christ came. And it's a really desperate time in the life of God's people. You see, God's people were, were, were at that time being conquered by neighboring nations Israel and Judah had not done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The northern kingdom had already fallen. And now they were laying siege to the southern kingdom and laying siege to Jerusalem. And although Jerusalem didn't fall to the, to the Assyrian king, king, Sennacherib, most of Israel was laid to waste. And during that time, the Bible records that, that almost three 30,000 of Israel's men, the, the young and the strong, they were deported from Israel and they were deported over to Assyria. Essentially, they were taking the life out of Israel, their future, their workers, the, the, any sort of military strength and protection that was all being taken away and that labor force was being used in another land to benefit their king and their nation. It was a very hopeless time in the life of Israel. A country deprived of their immediate future. And to make matters worse, they had to pay taxes to the Assyrian king. It was insult upon injury. This is a time that God's people really needed hope. And this is the context of Isaiah. As we take a look at chapter 40, we read about a very hopeful passage here. Isaiah 40, verse 1 through 11. It's what we read earlier. I'm going to take these pieces apart. 
Three things that stand out to me in this passage that can give us some hope. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The first thing that stands out to me is that comfort and hope are interconnected. Comfort and hope are interconnected. You see, this passage tells us that Israel had, had, had suffered. Israel had gone through an awful lot. And the first words out of God's mouth is comfort, understanding. God says, I see your pain. I see your situation. I see that you have received more than you're due. In fact, the, the text says double for what they deserved. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I, I tend to think of myself as a fixer. Whenever I hear a problem, my wife brings up something at home, my kids, friends, I, I go into immediate fix-it mode, right? That's just kind of, kind of the way that I, I'm, I'm wired. I'm, I, I'm a fixer. If, if you have financial struggles, I'm going to say, hey, let's do a Dave Ramsey course and let's, let's get on track. If you're having relationship struggles, you know, my first instinct is let's start reading the five love languages and let's fix it. I, I tend to be a fixer by nature. And, and it's so interesting here in the process of giving hope. The text starts not by fixing the situation, but by comforting, by identifying. And we see how comfort and hope are inexplicably linked. God doesn't speak harshly at this point, even though Israel was reeling from the consequences of their sin. God speaks tenderly and, and softly and lovingly. And it's a really beautiful thing to remember that in the process of giving and receiving hope, Comfort and hope are interconnected. Let's move on. Verse 3 through 8, and I'll take apart 3 through, through, through 5 first. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, the uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 3 through, through, through 5 is, is a beautiful way of, of just understanding what it means to prepare. You see, back at that time, as important dignitaries or kings or important people would travel, they would always plan out the path that they were going to take. They were planning it out for safety's sake, for expedience's sake, and to make sure that this important person got from point A to point B safely and on time. And because of that, they would have people that would go out and scout ahead of time. And they would look at the path that was going to be traveled. It's, it's not like the way we do it today. We, we wait until the last minute before we have to go someplace. We stick it in Google Maps or Apple Maps and we just go, right? But that's not the way it was back then. 
they had to make sure the path, if it wasn't known, was safe. And so, if they were going to go over into a valley or a place that was low, they would make sure there wasn't a place that either the chariot or the envoy would get stuck. Or if they were going to travel over a hill or valley, they wanted to make sure that there was a path or a road that was made to make sure that, that whether it was horses or chariots or, or people that were traveling, they would be safe. And they would, they would make it safely through there. And so, this idea and this word picture is, is about making a path. Making a path for, for, for somebody and something very important to travel upon. But verse 6 and 8 makes it really clear about the path that we're preparing. You see, we're, uh, as we read this, we're not preparing a path for a normal person, for, for a king from another land, but we're preparing a path for the Lord. And this is what the text says. A voice says, cry, and what shall I cry? Cry out that all flesh is grass, all of its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You see, this text in Isaiah was encouraging the people to say, don't look to another king. Don't look to another prince. Don't look to another person, to, to a human being to come and save you. But instead, look to the Lord because short-lived are rulers and princes and kings. But the word of the Lord stands forever. That's hard in our day and age because we like things so immediate. We want some immediate answers. And, and, I, and I was thinking just of, of an analogy. It, it'd be as if I said, I will give, or someone told me, I will give you, Paul, $5 a day for a year or a year later, I'll give you a million dollars. Now, in my mind, that's like a no-brainer, right? I'll take the million dollars on day 366. But sometimes when we're in the moment and, and we're struggling through situations, all of a sudden that $5 a day looks pretty good. Wow, $5 a day. Like, I can buy some Starbucks. And we want that immediacy and sometimes we get a little bit impatient, wanting to follow something today, wanting to follow something tomorrow, being frustrated with the circumstance that we're in, recognizing that the, that the darkness that's surrounding, even though it allows us to see stars, is, is still darkness and we're, we're frustrated and we're hurt and we aren't exactly sure what to do. And it's at that point that sometimes we start grasping for the five bucks. When this text is saying, no, 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 don't follow what is flesh because the grass withers, flesh withers, princes and rulers come and go. Instead, follow the word of our God that stands forever. That is like waiting for the million dollar prize a year later. Let's move on. Verse 9 through 11 Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. 
herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This text is, is basically saying, hey, go to someplace high so people can hear you. It'd be as if you're going on top of your roof so, so more of your neighbors could hear your message. Or going to a, a high place, a high hill or a high mountain to share this good news. This is really, really great news. It's, it's, it's like if you were to go to a good restaurant and you go to a good restaurant and you just can't wait to tell people. It's that kind of idea. You have great news and you're excited to share. Don't be shy, but share the news. And what is this news? The news is this. The Lord is coming. The Lord is on the way. It's the message of Advent. We celebrate Christmas, Christ who came so long ago, over 2,000 years ago. But also the message of Advent is Christ is coming again. And Isaiah encourages the people and gives them hope by saying, guess what? There is somebody coming. In verse 10, this God comes with power and might. This is not a weak, feeble ruler. This is a strong, a strong and powerful king. Behold, his reward is with him, meaning this king doesn't come just in power and might. This king comes in abundance. This king comes with an inheritance to be able to provide and his recompense before him Recompense is a word that, that is basically writing what's wrong, paying somebody to write what's been wrong. And it's a beautiful tie into earlier verse 2 that, that Israel has received double for her sins. This idea of, of, of compensating for their trouble and their sin and their hardship. This is what the king will do. Come and make right. And verse 11 is so important because it gives us the nature and the character of this king. This is not just a ruler who is powerful and mighty and, and manages business affairs well. But verse 11 frames the character of this king. This king is tender and shepherds his people like a shepherd does his own flock. Ca carrying the lambs in his arms, carrying it close to his bosom and leading those who are with young. And yes, believe me, anybody who has had young children understands how difficult that task is. This is the character of the one coming, powerful, abundant, and tender and caring. This is the one in whom we should be sharing the good news. And this is the hope for you and for me and all those listening I end today with a story of hope. 
It's a story about a man named Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was born in 1905 in Vienna, Austria. By the age of 25, he had received his doctorate. His doctorate was in psychiatry and psychiatric medicine. He would go on to practice in Vienna, Austria at that time. Several years later, he started his own practice, but he being Jewish was forced to close down in 1938 when Germany annexed Austria. There, after anti-Semitism was on the rise at that point, Frankel had an opportunity to, to come to the United States in 1941, but he didn't want to abandon his parents who were aging. And so he stayed. His brother and sister were able to get out of Austria. And by 1942, Victor, his wife, and his parents were sent to the Nazi concentration camps. Within six months, his father would pass due to the hardship in the camps and due to failing health. His mother and his wife were sent to different camps. And Victor tells this amazing story as he writes in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He writes about the, the hardship in the Nazi concentration camps. Death always seemed close. They could smell the incineration chambers where they would burn thousands and thousands upon bodies after they had either been gassed or in the, in the gas chambers or after they had not survived being put to forced and hard labor. The fear of death was always nearby with little food, inadequate clothing, sleeping arrangements where there were six to seven people on a bunk and it was stacked eight, uh, stacked three high. It, it was no place to survive and in fact, very few survived for any length of time. For those who were fortunate enough to survive, not only were the conditions brutal, but they were often beat and treated inhumanely by the SS officers who were overseeing them. Frankel recalls all these experiences in his book. But interestingly enough, as a psychiatrist, he noticed a very interesting pattern of those who survived. For it wasn't just the strong who survived. You would expect that. It wasn't those who were there for a shorter amount of time. But he noticed a pattern here that it was those who survived had an uncanny sense of hope. They had an uncanny sense of hope. You see, under the terrible conditions, under the, under the, the threat of death daily, it was those who occupied their minds on the right thing that made it. Those who thought about the conditions and, and took pity on their situation, they didn't make it, but, but those who in their minds, because if their minds gave out, their bodies would soon give out too. But those who survived are those who maintained a sense of hope and a sense of purpose and meaning. Victor says it this way in his book. He says, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread, 
They may have been few in number, but they offered su sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one last thing. The last of human freedoms to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Frankel, Frankel is talking about choosing hope, choosing meaning, choosing purpose. And as we wrap up here today on this first Sunday of Advent, my encouragement to you is this. Choose hope. Despite the dark night that might surround your situation and surrounding all of us to some degree, see it as an opportunity to look at the stars, to look at the rays of hope that God is trying to communicate to us. Remember that we all need hope. Hope is what we crave. Hope is what the Messiah gave. Let's hope in the Lord and not in humankind. Let's choose the million-dollar prize instead of the $5 on a daily basis because, remember, if we put our hope in human beings, human beings are like grass, and it's very short-lived. And lastly, remember to make a pathway. Share this hope with others. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord that hope does not disappoint. We put our hope in things of this world and it lasts for a little bit, but God, ultimately it disappoints. Lord, help us to put our trust and our hope in you because it is the word of the Lord that stands forever. Help us not to put our trust in ourselves, but to put our trust in you and help us, Father, in, in some way, go up to the mountaintops, go to the top of our roofs and, and, and find the courage and the strength to be able to share this with others, especially those around us, because we see it every day that need hope, because right now we all need it. Thank you for this season of Advent that we can hope in nothing less than the beautiful sun that we anticipate coming on Christmas Day. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.